Hello and welcome to the Todd Pod, a podcast to support itinerant teachers of the deaf and hard of hearing, SLPs, and other deaf education professionals. I'm Deanna Barlow from Listening Fun, and today we're talking about working with educational interpreters with Priscilla Blanco. Thanks so much for being here, Priscilla. Hi, Deanna. Thank you for having me. My name is Priscilla Blanco. I have been working as a teacher of the deaf and hard of hearing for about six years now. I've worked in self-contained, inclusion settings, total communication programs, and mostly at the high school level, but I've done basically almost every grade you can possibly think about. And I've just recently moved into like itinerant work. Yeah, actually, we work together now, which is how we know each other. And I'm very thankful she's here to talk about interpreting (laughs) because that's just not something I've had a lot of experience with on my caseload. But since Priscilla came from another program and especially high schoolers, she just has like so much good stuff to share with us today. So I really appreciate it. Excited to be here. Excited to be here. (laughs) (laughs) If you could just tell us what your experience specifically is with working with educational interpreters. So right out of college, I um, started working at a high school and it was a total communication high school. So we had hearing kids, deaf kids, hard hearing kids, like you name it. Within the high school program, we had both inclusion setting and self-contained setting. So I worked with interpreters mostly within the inclusion setting, but sometimes they also worked with me in my self-contained classes that were high language based, like language arts or like social studies, for example. And yeah, that was like my first five years of working with the deaf community. So did you ever like join the class uh, when they were like in inclusion where there was like a general ed teacher, an interpreter and a student? Yeah. So that was basically what our uh, inclusion setting was. So basically it would be me, the den ed teacher, the interpreter and any like maybe sometimes there was another special ed teacher or sometimes there was one or a couple of professionals depending on the student population need. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what are like the best practices for working with an interpreter? What should we be telling that gen ed teacher that we're working with who has a student in their class and they're using an interpreter and we want to coach the gen ed teacher on what they should and maybe shouldn't be doing? Right. So important. I think like the very first thing and I think the most important thing when working with interpreters within um, general education classrooms and inclusion settings is setting up your interpreter to succeed. And what do I mean by that? Making sure that the very first day of school, you're introducing your interpreter and you're introducing the interpreter's role. Like, what are they here to do? What can they do? What they shouldn't be doing? What the gen ed teacher should and shouldn't rely them to do. Like, they're not there as a professional. They're not there to assist your kids with classwork. They're not there to assist the other students, right? They're there for your deaf or hard of hearing student to make sure that they have access to language, right? Another thing is that in that same token, that first day, maybe give the interpreter the floor, the classroom floor to maybe answer questions coming from the students of how to utilize them, how to communicate best with their deaf and hard of hearing peer and any questions that may arise from the students. The students don't want to do something inappropriate, right? So the earlier you give them like a set of quote unquote rules of how to communicate with this extra adult in the classroom, 
the better. Yeah, that kind of makes sense that you could fold it into like at the beginning of the year, all the teachers are going over like their classroom expectations. And like, I guess in like elementary school, they have like more explicit like classroom rules. But even in high school, like teachers usually that first week go over the syllabus and they like say like, this is how I collect work. This is my grading policy. And this is how you use an interpreter. Like, you know, like it makes sense to just like fold it in. So that way it just is one of those other classroom expectations and maybe like prepping the teacher of like, this is a new set of expectations that are going to be in your room. So let's like front load this information. Right. Exactly. So having all that from the very beginning is very helpful. Also, even before that, making sure that there's a com- there's a conversation had about where does the teacher teach from? Uh, where, where can we seat the student or students so that they can better see the interpreter? Where is the interpreter going to be stationed, whether it's sitting down or standing up or a combination of both, making sure that that specific spot, there's no like very like busy background posters yeah. and stuff that can take away from the interpreter. Or like if there's a big light behind the interpreter, that's not a great thing because right. it makes it hard to see the sign clearly. And I think another really important thing that sometimes we forget is that the interpreter needs to prepare just as much as our teachers. So making sure that your lesson plans are due well ahead of time so that they can see the lesson plans, especially in those classes that are high in language-based classes, right? They want to be able to see the vocabulary that they're going to need and use. The interpreter also knows or gets to know their students. So maybe the teacher is using this set of vocabulary that if they have it ahead of time, they can kind of like already plan for those misconceptions or like those language clarifications that they have to be ready for. Like, yes, every interpreter I've worked with has been amazing and so skilled and they can do these things like right there and then. But we want to be able to give our students the best access to language possible and for them to be able to like 100% do that or like, well, hard to do anything 100% but like the best possible access mm-hmm. to language is if they themselves are prepared yeah that's such yeah. a good tip going back to like placing the interpreter is there like a certain spot that like is your first choice like close to the board close to the student is it case by case in my case we always made sure that the students optimal seating always like usually in the middle front of the classroom so then we would make sure that the interpreter was in like a, a good visual from them but also close to the board since a lot of the teaching was being done by the board but yeah. it also kind of you know it's like case by case like is the teacher going back and forth between two boards you know like sometimes classes have a board in the front and a board in the back mm-hmm. so it really is a planning like a conversation between the pod the general teacher and the interpreter to best service our students within that classroom yeah awesome that makes sense and how did you actually i know you talked a little bit about like how it's like you talk about what they are and what they aren't but how do you actually like when you first talk to the teacher explain the role of the interpreter and the reason I ask is because I think everyone listening knows the role of the interpreter but I love hearing how people explain things like that's like what I find helpful is like the specific words that people use so like if you're talking to a gen ed teacher and there's going to be an interpreter what do you actually like say to them I really like explaining things through examples or Mm -hmm. like through scenarios so I would first 
like explain to them our like general role of interpreter to help our deaf or Harvard students communicate with our hearing community. And then I would go into like more examples of like how they should communicate with the students, right? Making sure that you're not talking to the interpreter, but you're talking to your student, for example. Mm -hmm. And the interpreter is there simply as a voice or yeah. as someone to like sign to the student. So making sure that the student always knows that this is the interpreter is like a tool and yeah. not just speaking for them, you know, giving the student the autonomy. So I usually explain the roles that way. Do you ever have like, do you ever have run into like problems where the teachers are like directing things to the interpreter or like asking the interpreter to help the student with things and like kind of stepping outside of like the teachers are expecting them to step outside of their responsibilities? Yes, I don't think obviously I don't think anyone does anything maliciously, but right. it happens very often. Mm -hmm. So having that conversation from the get-go or like as a teacher, you shouldn't really be sending comments directly to the interpreter. Like uh, I had a teacher <laughs> that would like make little jokes, like say this really, or like, how do you say this really fast? Or like signing, like making sure that the interpreter was like signing this funny hearing thing very fast. Yeah. And like they would like make like a little joke about it. So like having those conversations aside, so that like it's not something that continues to happen in the classroom yeah. <laughs> it happens a lot a lot a lot or making sure that they know hey they're really here someone to help us all be able to communicate with this student right or like to make sure that the student is able to communicate with us they probably they might not know anything about the content you know they are language experts right so right use them for what they're the experts of. Yeah, totally makes sense. I, I totally understand. I feel like sometimes people just have some bad habits that they can be corrected over over time. Yeah. <laughs> With a little bit of help. Believe me, it happens so much. Yeah. So that's stuff that like we can do to set up the teacher with the interpreter. If we look at the actual student, what skills does a student need to have in order to successfully use an interpreter? And do you have any tips for teaching them these necessary skills? Right. So as any other skill, being able to utilize an interpreter is something that is not innate. Like it's taught. Right. And mm -hmm. it's taught from very, very little. We all know the attention span of like a four or five-year-old, right? <laughs> so <laughs> making, not like, very long. <laughs> Making sure that like our pre-K or kindergartners are being redirected to always like look at the interpreter, keep the attention to the interpreter, having that attention skill like from the very beginning. I did I, you usually like, start cool. interpreters that young? That's normal. That's a typical thing to do. I don't. I've seen them in elementary school. I haven't necessarily seen them in pre-K. I've seen them in kindergarten. But I've seen them in kindergarten more for maybe like read aloud. Like mm -hmm. they're not they're not necessarily there all day. Yeah. Or if they're there all day, they're not being utilized all day. Usually uh, in the elementary level where I've like seen it, all the teachers were able to sign. So like they were being they didn't really need an interpreter unless they were doing things like read aloud. For Got it. So, but even then, it's probably a good thing for the student to have some experience with an interpreter, even if it is more of just like an exposure like right. during a certain activity. That way, like 
the first time they use an interpreter is not like, okay, you're in fifth grade now, use an interpreter all day to learn. Like, <laughs> Right. So that's what I meant. And again, it's, it's very like, okay, we're going to practice using the interpreter now. Like, I don't know if necessarily the teacher is going to say that, but it's like a mental note. Mm -hmm. They do it specifically so they can practice the skills. So yes, the attention skill, keeping yeah. the attention on the interpreter. It's also, everything is a spectrum, right? So we have kids who are completely deaf and rely on the interpreter all the time. But then we have hard hearing students who maybe don't necessarily watch the interpreter at all times, but use them for find support for our language mm -hmm. base, right? So it really also becomes more of a case by case with the student, but still that that need of whenever someone is speaking in the front of the classroom, being able to keep your attention on the interpreter is so important. Yeah, um, and I feel like what you just mentioned is so helpful because like if you have a student who has some access through listening devices, but uses an interpreter for like clarification or like you said, through like really language rich classes, them, you talking to them about like how they can use the interpreter to get clarification and like how they can use sign during certain times and listen other times and like actually making that a little more like concrete for the student because that might not be like a natural, they might think that they're getting everything. And they might right. not be getting everything because like it's very hard to realize when you're missing things until you're like very confused. So I feel like that's such a good idea and such a good point of like not everyone needs the interpreter for every single thing that's being said. But if they're going to use it intermittently, then they need to be taught how to use it intermittently well. Right. So that's where kind of like that teacher, the deaf, educational interpreter team kind of like goes hand in hand, right? Like right. you want to be able to support your interpreter in order for them to do the best job they can with your shared student, right? Mm -hmm. Also, you'd be surprised into how many times as a teacher of the deaf, like someone that might not necessarily know much about the use of an interpreter can say things like, they're not telling them the answers, right? And I'm like, no, they're literally just saying what you said. <laughs> Unless you're saying the answers, you're, they're not saying the answers. <laughs> right. So, so making sure that I guess your gen ed teacher hearing people in the classroom also know mm -hmm. that it's so silly, but you, you have to say it sometimes. Yeah. Um, Do the kids know that they have to address their questions to the teacher and not to the interpreter? Like, or is that something you teach them? That is something you teach. Yes. It's again, when you're starting to learn how to use your interpreter, those are like skills that you can reinforce. Yeah. And then also happens to the hearing kids where, again, when we talked about before, uh, talking about the role of the interpreter, then you want to make sure that you, your students here and peers know, hey, if you're talking to X or Y and Z, talk to X and Y and Z and they'll sign for you. Don't go to the interpreter and say, hey, can you tell X and Y and Z this and this and that? And that's, that's also probably, something that happens yeah. a lot. So it's like more of like one thing from the very beginning and then reinforcing that skill of like talk to the student when it does happen. Mm -hmm. I and feel like probably... People feel like they're being rude when they just like talk to someone who doesn't use spoken language. They probably like I bet their first in I, I feel like a lot of people do that because they think they're being rude. But really, it's 
it's really rude to do it the other way, but like that's like right. counterintuitive that they like they just want to get there. They just want to tell them it as fast as possible. I feel like people aren't comfortable with like delays, but that's such a good thing to like just like tell them up front that like this is the right way to do it and like it's okay to like talk to them. Like you're, they're not going to be offended because they, they're not under like because the interpreter is going to interpret. So right, like that's like okay. That's, that's their job. A lot of it is uh, reassuring our hearing community. Mm-hmm. Hey. You're not talking to me, so don't talk to me. Right. (laughs) It sounds so simple, but, like, I totally get it because, like, I don't work with uh, any educational interpreters right now, but I do work with a Spanish interpreter for a family I work with in early intervention. And it's very hard not to turn to the interpreter and talk, like, even though, like, because even though I know I'm not supposed to do that, it's like it feels unnatural to talk to someone who I know cannot understand me and like will have to wait for the interpreter. But right. like I know that that's the correct way to use an interpreter. And it just it feels a little unnatural if you're not used to it. Even if you are used to it, it's still I get it. But it is important to make sure that they're doing it correctly. You never want the student or the parent or whoever it is to feel like you're talking around them. Right. And that kind of reminds me of, a, I guess, like a best practice of going back to that question is like, yeah, you have to make sure that your teachers and your and like the, the other students in the classroom understand that there is a lag. Like, for example, in the case that a teacher asks a question to the whole class, we all have that skill of like, okay, we're going to wait for the class to process the information. But most of the time, it's not enough time because then the interpreter is still interpreting. You need to remind them that they need to give the whole class, including your student, a little bit of extra time so that the interpreter can finish the interpretation of the question. And your student can then be at the same level as the rest of the students. Because if, if you don't, like, let's say that the teacher immediately calls on a student, then that's not really fair for your student because they're not able to participate because they're, like, a couple minutes behind than the conversation is. Yeah. So another skill, like, a conversational skill to, like, practice and also definitely mention at the beginning of the school year, there needs to be a bit of a lag, even if it feels weird, even if it feels like, you're pausing for an extra second that extra second is necessary for our students yeah absolutely I feel like that's one of the hardest things for people is to wait right that wait time (laughs) I have a question I just thought of do you ever have a situation where there's like more than one person using the interpreter in the class and does that change anything about how the interpretation is set up or any like best practices if there's like two or three students using an interpreter so that happens a lot actually is what happened the most in high school we had mm-hmm. multiple students who were deaf and hard of hearing within a class so it really depends on how the classroom is set up like if you have a room that is set up in groups you try to group your deaf and hard of hearing students close to each other you don't have to clump them together always because you don't want to make them feel like a subgroup if they are very good friends with each other and they want to sit together that's great Mm -hmm. but don't force your students to sit with each other just because they're deaf and hard of hearing if that makes sense as long as they are in the same general area and they're able to see the interpreter then that's the best now, that changes if you're doing kind of like group work. Right. If you only have one interpreter in your classroom and they're doing group, then they have to be in the same group because at that point, you only have that one interpreter for however many of the students you have. If they're in a group and the two deaf students are talking to each other, does the interpreter voice both sides of that conversation for everybody else? 
yet they have to voice everything and they have to sign everything. Yeah. So it's, it, go, it goes both ways, right? Uh-huh. So just as much as our deaf students need to know everything that's being said in the classroom for them and for our their peers to kind of feel included and have like better communication with each other, they should be able to like not look lost. You're yeah. not be lost in their uh-huh. conversation. Does it ever impact like the social conversation to have it interpreted? Because it's like an adult. Yeah, it impacts it every time. And yeah. that's sadly something that a lot of our students would kind of like complain about. Like they felt isolated sometimes because their friends, like there are things that their friends like couldn't tell them. But, you know, like especially in high school, they kind of would go around it. And like you also saw... If it wasn't about class, for example, if it was like about their own thing, whatever's happening in period three or happened, yeah. whatever, they would come up and they would text it in their phones and like showing mm. conversations on their own. So like they're sneaking them, some... I guess sometimes. Right. <laughs> right. Not all teenagers, not all teenagers, but <laughs> nothing surprised me at all, actually. <laughs> They can so, find a way around that. <laughs> yeah, so they find ways to be friends. Like, you didn't see it a lot in our freshies. Like, freshmen tend to stay together, stick together. Like, yeah. the deaf freshmen that tended to be with other deaf and hard of hearing freshmen. But as they got older and they were more, I guess, they felt more included in the community, you saw more of, like, hearing and deaf and hearing and hard of hearing and intermingling. And yeah. that is very important and also really I kind of put it on the school more and like the class more than um, in our students right yeah that makes sense help them feel comfortable have you ever worked with like a virtual interpreter thankfully after COVID we had I I never had to use an interpreter online but uh-huh. during COVID, that's all we could do. So yeah, yeah. One day, yeah. maybe I'll try to get someone who like is a virtual interpreter to come on. If you know a virtual interpreter and they want to be interviewed for the Todd Pod, let me know because I feel like like obviously in person interpreter would be like ideal for everybody. But since like yeah. you can't get one, and, in, and a virtual interpreter is what you're working with, then there probably are like different strategies and stuff to make that somewhat better. But well, it did remind think- me. It did remind me of another question though. Because we, a lot of our um, staff meetings, like for, for where we work, me and Priscilla are interpreted because it's a big, you know, program and they're signing people in it and they switch out. Like it's, it's very rarely one interpreter. When you have an educational interpreter, is it one interpreter all day or is it different interpreters for different classes for like the same group of students? Like do they take breaks like teachers take breaks or do they take breaks more frequently? Like how does that work? So at the high school level, there's multiple interpreters for the high school and they mm-hmm. would have a schedule just like I would have a schedule. So like Miss T would have first period English, second period social studies with this grade. And then they would like kind of have that and then they would have their own preps and lunch as well. So for the high school level, they switch. There's multiple interpreters for the school and they create they have like their own schedule that they create according to the needs of the students and how they're being grouped with inclusion classes. In the elementary school, I've, I only worked with interpreters in elementary school during summer school. So I'm not sure if this is the same way in during the school year, but during summer school, you had one or two interpreters in the classroom, depending on like how big your classroom 
was like how many students he had for the summer and also depending on the needs and they did switch out sometimes they would like one would go to lunch or prep or whatever time that they had their break and then the other one would pop in or our days would be scheduled so that like I needed an interpreter for this specific lesson but we all signed so we didn't necessarily need in elementary school we didn't necessarily need interpreters all the time Got it. but again that was in this summer so I'm yeah. not sure how it really works in this school year yeah that makes Um, sense so that like when at the high school level they would just have them like scheduled so that way every class was covered as opposed to being assigned to like a specific student right yeah I wonder how that would change like if you were supporting like someone as an itinerant for example who signed and used an interpreter like I wonder if they were the only student in the whole school you know or like one of very few how that would work so that that did happen a couple times just because of scheduling where like one interpreter ended up being like following this one specific student or this two students throughout the day. And what would happen for their like break is that they would take the break or their prep or lunch or whatever when the kids were at lunch. Yeah, that makes sense. So there's no interpreter during lunch? No. What about like clubs? Uh, so clubs are after school and technically are the interpreters, at least in the program that I worked at, the interpreters were paid from beginning of the day to end of the day and clubs are after school. So they would just have to, it was more like, hey, Miss T, are you able to interpreter, uh, interpret, oh my goodness, for the student because they want to join knitting club and knitting club meets. Wednesday is afternoon from three to five and then it kind of becomes more of like do you have the interpreter to do that um yeah our interpreters nine out of the time ten times like the interpreter always said yes because we all want our kids to be able to do clubs like have the access to those things and we also had the choice like maybe um if the teacher of the deaf also had an interpreting license in the afternoon, they would interpret for yeah. the student if there wasn't any other like choice and stuff like right. that. And it's just, if they have yeah. the certification, right? Makes sense. Okay, great. Do you have any like helpful resources or any like last minute tips that you'd like to share with everybody for working with interpreters? Okay, so I I just remember some things that I didn't say in best practices. Like, okay, tell be me. mindful. Be mindful of your rate of speech. Don't go too slow and don't go too fast. You know, just speak at a normal pace, but also be mindful of like that wait time that we talked about and don't walk in front of the interpreter <laughs> or try not to. You know, it happens. You don't, you're like walking around, you're not thinking about like where you're going or how you're going and mm-hmm. you end up walking in front of the interpreter. Like just don't block them. As a teacher of the deaf who can sign, my biggest thing at the beginning of my working with interpreters like my first year of teaching was reminding myself to put my hands down don't sign over the interpreter <laughs> yeah I mean too because like I would never talk over a, a teacher right but so, it, it's signing over the interpreter is kind of the same thing <laughs> right because then your kid who's like who are they looking at you know right that's a good um, point as a teacher of the deaf I had to always remind myself if I'm an inclusion I'm not in my self-contained classroom if I'm an inclusion I'm not going to sign because there's already someone signing. So I made it, I, I made it a point that unless I was specifically only talking to my students during classwork independent time, right? then I would sign with them. But other than that, I had to like always slap my hand, like stop signing. 
<laughs> like it's also like rude to the interpreter because that's their job you know yeah. you know you don't want to do I mean that it totally long. makes sense you don't want to sign over them but like a lot of people they might not even think about it they might just start signing and then, right. and then you see the kids eyes going back and forth like you said and you're like oops okay wait hold on <laughs> my bad yeah, yeah. That's like one of the interpreters had to remind me like four or five times during one class one time and I was like I am so sorry it's like I'm just so like used to doing it like I need to like it's just it's and it's a skill you have to like remind yourself yeah. and be mindful of it and well this is for our gen ed teachers be mindful of the fact that our students especially those that rely heavily on the interpreter cannot do note-taking and watching the interpreter so there shouldn't be any of like watch this video and take some notes like that can't happen uh-huh. they can't do that right like they're either watching the video or taking notes yeah. so if you have to have a video give some time for the video then give some time for conversation about the video then give some time for the note taking mm-hmm. it can't it has to be separated because yeah. our kids cannot do that and or if the note taking itself is not as important where you're you're not really assessing did they get this from the video and you just want them to be able to have like highlights of what was said in the video have pre-created notes for your deaf and hard of hearing students so that they can focus on the video and then they can have this like blurb or whatever note and like you know afterwards to go back to like what wasn't said in the video i mean we have that accommodation for kids who listen too because like they need some kids need to lip read some like, right and you can't lip read and take notes at the same time so I yeah. feel like that's it if it's in there um, as an accommodation too I think that's probably like notes ahead of time or right. or notes afterward like some teachers are weird about giving notes ahead of time right but that would be ideal because then we could preview it and interpreters could preview it but uh um, yeah if exactly. uh, it's an accommodation, then they have to do it. So, and like, like for example, sometimes it would happen where if they did somehow forget, like, you know, like, it happens, like, we're all human. Like, you forget and, like, you ask the kids to take notes. Like, if I was lucky enough that there was only one hard of hearing or deaf student in the classroom, I would just, like, take notes for them while they were watching the video. But that's not going to happen every time. And if you have, like, five students, I can't, like, take five sets of notes. Which kind of goes back to the need to share your lesson plans with everyone involved. Because then, mm-hmm. like, if there are there's a video, usually one of my recommendations, whether or not they were taking notes on the video, is that I would write notes for them and add yeah. them to their classwork. So yeah, no note taking, or and that also happens for like maybe we're in science and you're showing a graph. Show the graph. Talk about the graph. Then note take. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. Um, separating those things and if you're having uh, some kind of a project where the students are creating something and then presenting it if at all possible plan it in a way where the students give you their whatever they're presenting to the class prior to the day of the presentation so that you can share that with the interpreter especially if it's something like poetry because poetry is abstract and it's not interpret the same way as you know you and I talking yeah so you're interpreted like music is interpreted which is through meaning not the words that are being said so that's much harder to do at like in that moment so to help our interpreters 
really get the act or, and our students really get the access they need to all of the information being provided yeah it, it's better to do that yeah um, that totally makes sense especially because like you want the teacher's message to be clear but you also want if the student's presenting you want their message to be clear like they you know they deserve to have their message conveyed clearly as well like it goes both ways exactly don't say anything out loud that you don't want to be interpreted because it <laughs> happens sometimes when someone's like oh don't say it. don't 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 sign that like you actually can't say that yeah <laughs> they, have to, they have to they have to sign everything and anything that's being said yeah that's so funny <laughs> i mean it's not funny but it's like i can imagine the situations in which they would say yeah. that <laughs> yeah yeah it's, exactly. so, oh my gosh um, yeah never a dull yeah. moment <laughs> Um, and then resources. Uh, I don't have anything physical, honestly, that I can like provide. But your interpreter is your biggest resource, right? Yeah. Ask makes them sense. the questions. They are the experts. They'll be able to answer any questions and help you. And like a lot of them do have like written resources that they can probably share with you or the class or anything like that. Yeah, um, that makes that's a great idea. <laughs> oh, so sorry. One more thing. They should be in the, involved in the IP, like in the document, in the meetings, like, you know, they are language experts. So if your student has language goals or like listening goals or whatever goals that are like language and listening and language based, they should have access to that and be able to give their input. Thank you so much, Priscilla, for sharing all of that like helpful information and tips and tricks. I think maybe teachers who don't work with interpreters frequently and then they come across one, it can feel a little overwhelming. So I think just having like a reference of things to go back to is super helpful. For everyone listening, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. The links and show notes and transcript can all be found below and at listentotodpod.com. You can reach me on Instagram at listeningfun and I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.